Hi, everyone. This is Grace is on the case. I'm Grace Lynn Keller, and today I'm bringing you a case that I've been researching for quite some time. It's simply massive, and I really wanted to make sure I covered all of the bases here. Ever since I heard of the case a few years ago, I've been fascinated with it, and I knew one day I would want to cover it, not only for all the twists and turns, but also because the basic details of what happened are still unclear over 20 years later, and there's a family out there still seeking answers. It took me a very long time to research, but I'm very excited to finally be bringing this case to you. This is the story of Asia Degree. So just a heads up, this is going to be another two-part episode. This case is huge, and there's just too much to cover in one go. So this week, I'll be going over the case in all of its details so you get a full picture of what we know for sure happened. And then next week, I'm going to be discussing all of the things that could have happened and the top theories surrounding the case, including my own. So let's dive in. On Monday, February 14th, 2000, Akila Degree woke up around 5.45 a.m., as was usual for her on a weekday. She got herself ready and then drew a bath. Her two children, 10-year-old O'Brien and 9-year-old Aisha, were headed back to school that day after a long weekend, and she needed to get them ready to go. Once the bath was drawn, Akila went down the hall to O'Brien and Aisha's room to wake them up. She typically woke them up around 6.30 a.m. on a school morning, but the power had gone out the night prior due to a storm, and Akila was unable to bathe the two before bed. So today, she went in a few minutes early to allot time for their bath. When she arrived in the kids' room, she saw O'Brien sleeping in his bed, but no Aisha. Confused, she checked all over the bedroom in the closet, but Aisha wasn't there. She went from room to room in the home, checking anywhere that Aisha could fit, but Akila still couldn't find her. Finally, she even checked the family car and yard around their home, but Aisha was nowhere to be found. Terrified at this point, she woke up her husband Harold, who was still asleep because he worked the second shift as a dock loader in their hometown of Shelby, North Carolina. After Harold knew what the situation was, Akila called Harold's sister and mom, who both lived in a house just across the street from the degrees. When the two heard what was going on, they immediately told Akila to hang up and call the police. At 6.39 a.m., Harold called 911, and sheriff's deputies were at the degree home just two minutes later, at 6.41 a.m., it was at this point that police began talking to the family to get a better idea of who Aisha was and what the days leading up to this situation were like. On Friday, February 11th, the kids had had the day off of school, but since both their parents still had to work, Aisha and O'Brien spent the day with their cousins at their aunt's house, the one that lived right across the street, and that Akila called that morning that Aisha was found missing. That afternoon, their aunt took them both to their elementary school where they each had basketball practice. Aisha was a very shy child, according to loved ones, but had recently mustered up the courage to join the school's girls' basketball team, following in the footsteps of her older brother, O'Brien, who played on the boys' team. 
Their coach reported later that Aisha was acting completely normal during practice, laughing and joking with the other girls as she usually did. Both kids returned home after practice and with their mom, Akila, who was off to work by then. The next day, Saturday the 12th, both Aisha and O'Brien had away games at neighboring middle schools. Both Akila and Harold attended these games, which was something they usually did together, according to other parents and the coach. Akila and Harold were reported to be very involved parents. Aisha's team played first and lost, and Aisha actually kind of blamed herself for this, because she had fouled out at the end of the game and cost the team the winning point. She was even seen crying at one point after the game, saying that her leg hurt, but shortly after, she was hanging out with her team in the bleachers while the boys' team played. Later, she actually did admit to her coach that her leg wasn't hurt and that she had just been upset over the loss. Aisha seemed to have perked back up quickly, though, cheering her brother on. When the games ended, the family returned home. Shortly after, Aisha left for a sleepover with her cousins at her aunt's house across the street. There were over a dozen family members sleeping over there that night, and everyone said that Aisha was acting completely normal. The following morning, Sunday, February 13th, Aisha's aunt and grandmother took everyone who had slept over to church, where they met up with the rest of the Degree family. Following the service, the Degrees went over to the aunt's home with other family members for lunch, where Aisha's grandmother gave her a bag of Valentine's Day candy that was mostly made up of cinnamon discs, which were her favorite candy. After lunch, the Degrees went home for the rest of the day. Around 6.30 p.m. that evening, Aisha fell asleep on the family's couch, still in her clothes from that day. She was woken by a storm that rolled in around 8.30 p.m. and wandered into the den to watch TV with her mom and brother. Around 9 p.m., Akila sent the kids to prepare for bed, but the power was knocked out shortly after, so the kids were unable to be bathed that night. Akila decided that they would just do it in the morning before school and tuck the kids in. Harold, who had been at work since that afternoon, got off at 11.30 p.m. and returned home around midnight. At 12.30 a.m., the power came back on, and he peeked at the kids in their room to find them both asleep. Before heading to bed himself, he checked on them one more time around 2.30 a.m., still finding them both in bed asleep. And that was the last time that anyone at home saw Aisha. At this point, authorities had no idea where Aisha could be, so an extensive search began. Search dogs were deployed within an hour of the police being called, and a helicopter was dispatched as well. By noon, over 60 volunteers had gathered to do a ground search. Despite all measures being taken to find Aisha, or at least something that would point to where she could be, the searches turned up nothing and were suspended for the night. There was one piece of helpful information that came in during the initial searches, though, and that came in the form of a phone call from a truck driver named Jeff Roop. He said that between 3.45 and 4 a.m., he saw what looked like a little girl walking south on the side of the road. She was wearing a white t-shirt, white sneakers, and pigtails. He was driving north down Highway 18 at the time, which was a little over a mile from the Degree residence. He had said this sighting concerned him, so he found a place to turn around and head back the same direction to see if he could catch up with her. He saw her again and noted that she was walking quickly with her head down like she knew where she was going. He had turned around for a third time, hoping to pull up next to her and talk to her to see why she was walking alone out in the rain at that hour of the night. 
When he caught up to her this time, he slowed down and rolled down his window. When he attempted to speak to her, she ended up bolting from the side of the road and into the woods. The incident bothered Roop, and when he turned on the news the next morning and saw Aisha was missing, he called in to let them know that he believed he had seen her. It was with this information that investigators asked the degrees to identify anything missing that belonged to Aisha, and they realized that numerous clothing items and personal effects of hers were gone. Those items included her white sneakers, a white pair of jeans, a pair of jeans with a red stripe in them that were actually reported to be her favorite jeans, a long sleeve shirt, a red vest with black trim, black overalls with Tweety Bird on them, a black and white long sleeve shirt, a pair of black shoes, her wallet, a house key, three family photos, a Tweety Bird purse, and a black and beige backpack. Now, it's also reported in some other places that she packed her basketball uniform as well. But on the official list put out by the FBI of what was missing from the home, the basketball uniform is not on there. So it's unclear if the basketball uniform was included in these items or if it was still found in the home. There's conflicting reports on this. Authorities believed that the backpack was packed with most of the items missing that Aisha was not seen wearing that night. This gave rise to the theory that at some point, someone, possibly Aisha herself or possibly somebody else, packed a bag with the items missing. This struck the investigators as very odd, since this is not a typical detail seen in a missing child investigation. Couple that with the fact that there was no sign of forced entry into the home and police were thoroughly confused. It seemed as though Asia had packed a bag and just walked out of her home that night. But Aisha didn't fit the typical profile of a runaway child. And there had been no indication either that Aisha wanted to or was planning on running away. At this point, authorities turned their focus to 10-year-old O'Brien, hoping he may have seen or heard something that night, having been in the room with Aisha. O'Brien said he woke up sometime after his dad checked on them at 2.30 a.m. to the sound of Aisha's bed creaking, as if she was moving. It could have been that she was getting up to use the bathroom, or coming back from it, or just rolling around in her sleep, but O'Brien didn't think anything of it and said he went back to sleep without looking over at her. With no solid information from O'Brien, police were in a tough spot, and the only thing left to do at that point was continue on with the search as planned. Around 100 volunteers came out on Tuesday, February 15th, the day after Aisha vanished, to continue looking for any sign of where she had gone. They paid extra attention to the area of Highway 18, where Roop said he saw Aisha on the road and where she had run into the woods. The Turners, a family with extensive land that lived about a mile and a half south of the Degrees, searched their property and outbuildings on the request of police on Tuesday as well. Now, this wasn't like a strange request made specifically to the Turners, all area neighbors, and people who owned property bumping up to the place that Asia was last seen were asked to do a search. But I mention this because the Turners actually found something. So in an old shed, they discovered a wallet-sized photo of a young Black girl and some trash that mostly consisted of candy wrappers. Police took the photo but said they didn't need the items described as trash. Authorities showed this photo to the Degree family as well as Asia's school, but it was confirmed not to be a photo of Asia, and nobody was able to identify who the girl in the photo actually was. 
On Wednesday, February 16th, the air search via helicopter, which had been going on since Asia was reported missing, was called off. Ground searches continued, but police announced that they too would be called off unless some concrete evidence was found that Asia was still in the area. The sheriff also finally made a public announcement that Asia was believed to be the victim of foul play, either through abduction, a hit and run, or some other situation that left her injured and lost. She was not believed to be a runaway. It's also announced that a nationwide bulletin was sent out to departments across the country to be on the lookout for Asia and that her parents were not be considered as suspects. During the searches Wednesday, police also got another tip from a truck driver named Roy Blanton, who said he and his son were driving on Highway 18 at 4.30 a.m. the day Asia went missing and said they saw what was like a small-figured woman wearing light-colored clothing walking along the side of the road. Blanton said that at this point he got on his CB radio to warn other drivers in the area to be careful because there was a young woman walking on the edge of the road and he feared that she could get run over. Jeff Roop, the original truck driver who called in to report seeing Asia, was given a polygraph test by the FBI Wednesday evening, which he passed. Police cleared him as a possible suspect, and he went with them to the area he had spotted Asia run into the woods to show investigators exactly where to be looking. This land included a field owned by Charles Turner of the aforementioned Turner family. On Thursday, February 17th, ground searches continued in the exact area Roop had pointed out the previous day. An inch-by-inch search of the Turner property was also conducted due to that mysterious photograph being found in the shed the day prior. While there, a searcher identified a candy wrapper on the ground near the shed where the photo and other trashed items were discovered. When this happened, the Turners realized that this candy wrapper matched a lot of the other, quote, trash, unquote, items they found with the photo, as those were mostly the same candy wrappers. Luckily, the Turners felt weird throwing away those other items, so they had actually kept them, despite police originally telling them the items weren't related to the case. The items consisted of a hair bow, a pen, and a pencil with the word Atlanta inscribed on it and a bunch of cinnamon disc wrappers. Police now collected these items as well, and the degrees were shown them and identified all of them as belonging to Asia, matching the candy wrappers to the bag of Valentine candy her grandmother had given her that Sunday. This was the first tangible sign of where Asia had been since she left the house the night she vanished. Once this connection was made, all searchers moved to the Turner property to continue the inch-by-inch search. All members of the Turner family, plus some neighbors, were questioned by police at this time. The outbuilding her items had been found in was about 600 feet away from the roadway where she had last been walking. This track would have been uphill, and part of it included a 30-foot-wide gully that she would have had to cross. It would not have been easy access on foot from the road. The structure itself had no door, just a doorway opening, meaning Asia could have just stepped inside. It was filled with old furniture, tools, and equipment, and there is an external light that possibly guided Asia to it that night. Friday, February 18th, came and went with no new evidence found. Searches swelled to over 500 volunteers, and the Turner property was being thoroughly combed through. But the extra attention didn't turn anything else up. Temperatures dropped into the 40s, and fears for Asia's safety if she was still out there, lost or hurt, increased. 
Authorities quietly suspected that if this was the case, she would most likely no longer be alive. By February 20th, the ground search was suspended. Investigators were pretty sure that wherever Aisha was, it was not in the immediate area that they'd been searching. Aisha's classmates were interviewed, and friends said that days earlier, Aisha showed them some money in her Tweety Bird purse, the one that she had taken with her that night. And Aisha's parents said they did not give her that money, and they had no idea where it came from. The next day around 3 a.m., the sheriff's department set up a roadblock on Highway 18 near where Roop saw Aisha walking. The goal was to identify any other drivers that may have seen Aisha who regularly used that stretch of road in those early morning hours. No new witnesses were discovered. On February 14th, a citizen called the police to tell them that Aisha's class in school was reading a book called The Whipping Boy, about boys who run away from home only to return later. This person thought that the book may have been the catalyst for Aisha's disappearance. A neighbor of the Turners was also interviewed on this day and said that he typically keeps his six dogs in the yard at night and that the night Aisha disappeared, he didn't hear any of them barking as if someone unfamiliar was passing by. This was odd because Aisha would have had to walk past his property to get to that shed. The sheriff also released the photo of the girl found with the other items belonging to Aisha in hopes that it would generate new leads, or at the very least that someone could identify who the girl in the photo was. This step did little to get anything new, and to this day, she has never been identified. On February 28th, the Degree family did media interviews, and O'Brien spoke directly to the media for the first time. He told stories about Aisha and said he hopes to be able to read books with her again someday. Okay, let's just pause for a moment here and really think about everything that we know so far and this timeline. So Aisha was last seen in her bedroom by her father at 2.30 a.m., and then her brother reports hearing her bed squeaking sometime after that, indicating movement. Between 3.45 and 4 a.m., Jeff Roop sees Aisha walking south by herself on Highway 18, 1.3 miles away from her home, as if she had a destination in mind. Around 4.30 a.m., Roy Blanton and his son see Aisha walking down the same road south of where Roop spotted her. By 6.30 a.m., Aisha was found missing from her home by her mother. In the days after, those candy wrappers and other personal effects were found on the Turner property, right by where she was seen walking on the road, and then after that, the trail just goes cold. At this point, with everything we know, it seems like for some inexplicable reason, Aisha got up that night, packed a bag, and walked away from her home and life. So headed into March, investigators continued interviewing friends and family, neighbors and community members, but nothing new turned up. They also interviewed all of the local sex offenders without any luck. The forward momentum just seems to halt. That is, until the summer, when an inmate at the local jail comes forward with a shocking story. Baron Ramsey, who also happens to be a former high school classmate of Akila Degree, Asia's mother, was in county jail facing federal bank robbery charges. He claimed the night that Asia disappeared, he and another man were driving back into Shelby from a neighboring town after buying drugs. Ramsey said that they accidentally hit Asia with their pickup truck while she was running across the road. They panicked, and the friend he was with put Asia in the bed of the pickup and then dropped Ramsey off at his residence. Later, he claimed that he and his friend dumped Asia's body in nearby Moss Lake. 
Law enforcement spent several months looking into this story before publicly stating they didn't think it was true and that Ramsey was trying to cut himself a deal on the bank robbery charges he was facing. Moreover, Moss Lake had been dragged twice by divers and searchers, and nothing was found. Police also said they had ruled out a hit and run in the early days of the investigation because they never found any signs of a crash like paint chips, skid marks, or blood on the pavement. As the year continued, Aisha's name and photo were kept in the news, but no new information surfaced. As the one-year anniversary approached, her case got a new surge of coverage, but still, nothing new came out. That is until August 7th, 2001, two days after what would have been Aisha's 11th birthday, when police announced a backpack was found wrapped in two black trash bags and buried at the location of a construction site. A worker excavating the land found the bag and turned it into police, who were able to confirm with family members that it was, in fact, the backpack missing from their home after Aisha went missing. Police said it had appeared to have been discarded some months before. So the location of the backpack raised some questions, mainly because it was found off of Highway 18, the same road that Aisha was last seen walking on. And it was found in the opposite direction of the direction that she had been seen walking, so 26 miles north of where she was last seen. The bag was sent to the FBI for analysis, and cadaver dogs were brought into the area it was discovered, but nothing else was found. A few days later, another ground search was conducted with trained searchers, but still nothing new. Authorities also came forward to say that, quote, 99.9%, but not all, unquote, of what was in the bag was Aisha's, meaning that at least something found inside did not belong to her. They did not elaborate further. Searches continued over the next few days, and Aisha's family members were re-interviewed, but nothing new came to light. The case pretty much dried up at this point again, with no forward momentum or new information servicing for years. In July 2003, the FBI completed full forensic testing on Aisha's book bag, but the findings, if any, were not made public. In November of 2004, an excavation was conducted in Shelby after a tip from an inmate, but nothing related to Aisha was found. Ten years later, in January of 2014, Donald Ferguson was arrested for the 1990 murder of Shalonda Poole in Greensboro, North Carolina. Shalonda's case had many similarities to Aisha's, including the fact that she disappeared from her home, and after his arrest, many began wondering if Ferguson was also responsible for whatever happened to Aisha. Despite the possible connection, there has been no concrete evidence linking Ferguson to Aisha. In 2016, the FBI said after some digging into a 2015 tip, Aisha may have been seen getting into a green 1970s Model Ford Thunderbird or Lincoln Mark IV with rusty wheel wells. They said they're looking for anybody who owned that type of vehicle and was in the Shelby area when Aisha vanished. In 2018, the FBI circled back to the backpack and announced that there were two items in the bag that did not belong to Aisha. One was a children's book that belonged to Aisha's school library, and the other was a concert t-shirt featuring the boy band New Kids on the Block. As baffling as this announcement was, no one came forward with anything helpful following the release of this information. In 2020, the Degrees held a memorial walk for Aisha on the 20-year anniversary of her disappearance. 
$45,000 of reward money is still available for anybody who can provide information that leads to the apprehension of the person or people responsible for whatever happened to Asia. And that's pretty much where the case sits today. With nothing new being found and the forensic testing results still being kept private, we really don't know if investigators are any closer to discovering what happened to Asia. And with all of this strange information in this case, the sightings, the backpack, the candy wrappers, and mysterious photo, naturally a lot of people speculate what truly happened the night of February 14th, 2000, and what drove Asia to leave her home in the first place. Now, I don't know if we'll ever get concrete answers. I hope we do. But there are just tons of theories circling online about what actually happened to Asia Degree. And that, my friends, will be coming to you next week in part two. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoyed this episode. All of my source material is listed in the show notes and on the show's website, gracesonthecasepodcast.com. And you can contact me through there or Instagram DM at gracesonthecasepodcast for comments, corrections, or suggestions for future cases. I'll see you all next week for part two. 